Daisy. Um, I'm going to pray for us now before we look further at this passage together. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, thank you that your word is timeless. Uh, the truths it embodies uh, speak to us in a living and active way today. So we do pray that you would indeed help us to see the significance of this prophecy of the future given to Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And now as we see with clearer eyes, it would encourage us to live for your kingdom uh, more wholeheartedly, we pray, and to serve your purposes in our day. Amen. Well, of course, we do live in interesting times. We are currently experiencing a once-in-a-hundred-year event. Uh, the last global pandemic was the Spanish flu, uh, which was in 1918. And of course, that was to claim between, they reckon, between 20 to 50 million lives. So we do, uh, at this stage, uh, we're feeling very much out of control in the midst of our current pandemic. Uh, it is spreading at an alarming rate. And there, of course, there is currently no immediate prospect of a vaccine. Some people feel relatively unconcerned. However, others are experiencing the trauma of acute uncertainty. Uh, will they or their loved ones become infected? Uh, will their employer be able to continue paying them? Uh, what will be the impact of this on their savings or on their super fund or on their shares portfolio? You see, in our modern world, uh, with our technology and with our wealth, uh, we have become very used to the idea of being in control of our lives. Now, one takeaway from this COVID-19 crisis is that we are not as secure as we may think. Now, in the 6th century BC, the most powerful man in the world at that time was experiencing exactly the same emotions arising from a similar reality check. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the supreme emperor of the superpower of his day, Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar thought that he understood and controlled the world around him. And yet his reality check came not in the form of a virus, but in the form of a dream. Uh, he believed that dreams were important vehicles of revelation from the gods, but he doesn't know what this dream means. But he has this sense that it is ominous and it's important. And as a result, King Nebuchadnezzar is deeply anxious and he's deeply alarmed. As we saw last week, uh, all his advisors and astrologers have been unable to help him with understanding the dream. Uh, their wisdom, like all worldly wisdom, was found to be wanting. And yet Daniel, of course, prays to the God of heaven. And Daniel is given the insight as to what the dream was and its interpretation. And in our passage today, we join Daniel in the Babylonian throne room. And we join him there as he reveals the dream and its meaning to the king. And the truth it conveys are as important for us today as they were for Nebuchadnezzar then. You see, they speak powerfully into our world's felt insecurities and anxieties, which are being felt at this time in the crisis. 
Now, here's the two main points to give you a heads up. Uh, human kingdoms are fleeting, but God's kingdom is eternal. So firstly, let's look at how human kingdoms are fleeting. Uh, sometimes we speak about someone having feet of clay. And of course, the phrase means that although they might look impressive, they have a fundamental weakness. They have an Achilles heel. And as we will see, uh, this phrase has entered our language straight from this passage. Uh, Daniel describes Nebuchadnezzar's dream like this in verse 31. Uh, you looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. Uh, Daniel goes on to explain how each of the sections of this statue refers to a kingdom. The gold head refers to the Babylonian Empire. Uh, we are specifically told that. It's most likely that the silver chest and arms refer to the Medo-Persian Empire that would follow the Babylonian Empire. Uh, the bronze middle and thighs is the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, which followed that. And the iron legs is the Roman Empire. It's interesting that uh, people who are skeptical about the Bible uh, don't feel very comfortable with the book of Daniel. Uh, they say, how could Daniel possibly know in the 6th century BC of these successive kingdoms that would come to pass? Uh, so what they do is they, they rubbish the idea that Daniel was actually written in the 6th century BC. Uh, they say, no, 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 it must have been written much later, uh, 2nd BC. And of course, by that time, most of what Daniel predicts has already then come to pass. But actually, archaeological evidence is not on their side. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls show that Daniel was already a settled and accepted part of the Hebrew scriptures by 2nd century BC. It had not been recently written. So, returning to our consideration of the statue, as well as being a succession of empires, in one sense we are told that they are all part of the same entity, because these are all part of one statue. So the point is this, that the statue represents a world order that is built without reference to God. And we are told that this statue has feet of clay. However impressive it might seem, it's actually all pretty flimsy. And its downfall is inevitable. Look at verse 34. Uh, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. The big message of this dream is that Babylon and the other kingdoms of this world are ultimately going to topple and fall. No matter how impressive they might look, they are actually frail and they are faltering. This world's kingdoms will ultimately end up in the landfill of history. It does not matter how great their administration, how great and strong and mighty impressive their economy. How strong is their military? 
they will all go the same way in the end. You see, kingdoms and institutions built without reference to God are frail, and eventually they will fall. Now, this news would have come as a complete shock to Nebuchadnezzar. You see, in his day, there had only been two world empires before his own, uh, that of Egypt and Assyria. Uh, we ourselves have the vantage point of another two and a half millennia of history. Uh, we can see plenty of kingdoms rise and fall. But Nebuchadnezzar did not have the luxury of that data. And as far as he was concerned, his empire would continue to go from strength to strength. As it happened, his empire would actually only last 70 years. Human kingdoms are fleeting. And this was the first part of God's revelation to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was a truth he needed to learn in relation to his lofty empire ambitions. And it's a truth that we need to remember in relation to our current COVID-19 crisis. But that is not all that we learn from Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It doesn't just teach us that human kingdoms are fleeting, but even more significantly, it conveys that God's kingdom is eternal. Daniel chapter 2 is written 600 years before Jesus, and yet look at its prediction. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we are told about a stone not cut by human hands. It's referring to a different type of kingdom. Uh, this kingdom is not of human origin. Uh, this kingdom is supernatural. This kingdom is from God, and it's unlike anything that this world has seen before. And this stone strikes the feet of the image of the statue. Now, the striking of the feet is significant because it's giving a time marker as to when God's kingdom will break into human history. If you remember, the feet referred to the Roman Empire. This stone then becomes a great mountain and it fills the earth. Uh, Daniel then proceeds to interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 44, he explains this. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. So do you see what it's predicting? There is going to be an international kingdom of God. It will spread across every nation. It will fill the whole earth. And it will start in the Roman era. And it will last forever. Now, the stone, of course, represents Christ. And in Luke chapter 20, Jesus confirms that he is the stone in case, of course, we needed the confirmation. In an exchange with the hard-hearted religious leaders who were challenging Jesus' authority, Jesus says this in Luke 20, verse 17. The stone the builders rejected 
has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. It's yet another reminder that Jesus' credentials are not just his incredible life and teaching and miracles. Remarkably, again and again, Jesus precisely fulfills many prophetic predictions about him, like this one. The stone in Nebuchadnezzar's dream reveals two important aspects of Jesus' kingdom. Uh, firstly, its nature is confrontational, and secondly, its growth is gradual. So, uh, Jesus' kingdom is confrontational. Uh, this is one of the key features of Jesus' kingdom that we see in this verses. Uh, Jesus' kingdom strikes the empires of this world, we're told in verse 34, and it brings them crashing down. Uh, Jesus' kingdom has always had this confrontational aspect. It is Psalm 2 that foresaw this, amongst others. Uh, Psalm 2, verse 6 says this, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. The Lord Jesus is the rightful king of this rebel world. And the Lord Jesus will soon invade with his armies to reclaim this world for himself. And as we know, wonderfully and graciously, Jesus is offering pardon in advance of his invasion so that anyone in the world can be allied with him before it's too late. In fact, the first thing that we hear Jesus say as he strides onto the public stage in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, is this. At the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And amazingly, if we do that, he promises us that he will raise us to rule with him. Of course, if we ignore this offer and we continue in rebellion against this great king, we actually find ourselves under this king's wrath. It is Psalm 2 again that calls for a wise response to God's king. Psalm 2 verse 11 says this. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So there is this urgent need for people to take what Jesus says very seriously. His message is not just one religious option amongst many. Uh, the gospel is an announcement that a new king is on the throne. And he is commanding all people everywhere to acknowledge that fact. Each person needs to individually 
respond to him. So firstly, uh, Jesus' kingdom is confrontational. And the wisest course of action is to make our peace with him now. But secondly, Jesus' kingdom grows gradually. Uh, initially, uh, his kingdom may not seem all that impressive, uh, but the end result is glorious. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the rock changes over time. And eventually the rock grows into something global and massive. At verse 35 again. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So you see, the new kingdom starts tiny, but it grows huge. Uh, doesn't that sound familiar? Uh, what did Jesus teach about his kingdom? Uh, Matthew 13, he gives several parables which explain. Uh, verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. So you see, Jesus' kingdom, it advances gradually. And this helps us make sense of this era in which we live. God's kingdom has come, but it hasn't yet come in all its glory and in all its fullness. Uh, God's kingdom is growing, but its growth is often invisible and unseen, yet it is happening behind the scenes. When the 9-11 crisis occurred, uh, its impact was global. Uh, the world was changed forever. Uh, the 9-11 crisis, you could say, was a game changer. And maybe the COVID-19 crisis will fall into the same league. But there is another event in history which was a game changer in a far more profound and significant sense. It is, of course, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 110, we eavesdrop on God the Father's enthronement speech at the coronation of his Messiah. And we discover that there is a delay between his enthronement and the final subjugation of his enemies. Psalm 110 verse 1 says this. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for you. In his resurrection and ascension, Jesus is raised to God's right hand. And it means that today, Jesus is enthroned. He is the reigning Lord. But he has not yet subjugated all his enemies. So we live in the in-between. This is the era when God is bringing people one by one, gladly and joyfully, under his Messiah's rule. Uh, the stone has struck and it is now growing gradually to fill the earth. 
And that's where we are in history. Uh, the global statistics for the growth of Jesus' kingdom are actually very interesting. Uh, did you know that it took over 1,400 years for 1% of the world's population to become Christian? Uh, then it was only 360 years for the world's population to become Christian, doubling to 2%. And then it took only 170 years for that to double again to 4%. And then only 30 years, which was 1960 to 1990, to double again to 8%. And today, approximately 33% of the world population would confess that Jesus is Lord. And 11% of the world population would class themselves as evangelical Christians. So this stone may be still relatively small. If you took a snapshot of it, it might not be that impressive. But it will one day be a great mountain that fills the whole earth. And as we speak, it is growing and it is growing. And as the prophet Isaiah put it in Isaiah 9 verse, 11, 9, verse 7, of the increase of his governance and peace, there will be no end. So given that you and I know where history is heading, uh, what difference is this to make to us? So a few words in conclusion. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream helps us keep this present crisis in perspective. You see, COVID-19 is a Uh, human kingdoms are fleet to wake up call, and yet God's kingdom is eternal. Uh, Jesus' kingdom is growing all the time, unseen behind the scenes. And it's not just growing in spite of this crisis, but it will grow through this crisis. And therefore, it is an encouragement to Christians to continue pouring our lives into something that is really going to last. Jesus says that a great reversal is coming when he returns. Uh, there are many people who have lived their lives banking on the assumption that this world is all that there is. But Jesus says that on the day that he comes back, they're going to look pretty silly. Everything that they have invested in will blow away like chaff. At verse 35 of Daniel 2 again. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. And the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. It was C.S. Lewis who said, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. At living for Jesus can be difficult, and living for his kingdom can be costly. And yet those who have invested their lives in his kingdom will discover that in the end, their lives have been truly productive. So at this time of crisis, we can ask, how does God want to use me 
in his kingdom purposes, particularly at this time. Now, our new church vision, which we're just starting to circulate and to talk about, is that we gather to be equipped to serve, and then we scatter to serve. So we're empowering each other to serve in the communities and the spheres of life in which God has placed us. And indeed, in this current situation, uh, being geographically scattered is actually one of our strengths, because it means that we have groups scattered in various suburbs. May I encourage all of us to discuss in our home groups how we can serve the local communities in which God has placed us. Uh, in our home groups, uh, let's talk together about what opportunities we have to reach out to people local to us. Uh, to whom can we show love and concern in this crisis? Uh, who are the vulnerable? Who are the high risk? Who may be particularly anxious? Uh, what opportunities does this crisis present for the advance of Christ's kingdom in my area? So why not brainstorm it together? But finally, uh, it is understandable uh, that some of us at this time may be anxious. Uh, we may be anxious about uh, paychecks, about super funds, about share portfolios. And where this is so, of course, we go back to the Bible and we reapply the truths we already know in our minds. Uh, we remind ourselves that at this very moment, Jesus is the reigning Lord over all. Uh, Jesus, the Lord, who watches over our lives. And he is the Lord who says to us, don't be distracted by such concerns. Keep putting my kingdom first. And as his loved brothers and sisters, we know that the Lord Jesus will provide everything that we need. As he said in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this timeless message. Uh, thank you that it reminds us that worldly kingdoms and institutions are fleeting, uh, something which is all very painfully evident at this time. But thank you for this reminder that Jesus' kingdom is eternal and that through trusting in him, uh, we are members of that kingdom. And he then calls us to serve him in that kingdom work. So use as we pray as a community of your people to reach out to those around us and to be people who have a real impact in the lives of others who are facing a crisis without having that privilege of having a Lord who oversees their lives and in whom they can trust. And where we are anxious, help us to keep trusting in the Lord who reigns over all. Amen.